Hi everyone, it's Aliza Licht here, your host, and I'm so thrilled to share that my new book, On Brand, Shape Your Narrative, Share Your Vision, Shift Their Perception, is out now. I hope you'll pick up a copy because personal branding is for everyone. It's for the new graduate starting out, the middle manager looking to level up, the executive who wants to be a thought leader, the entrepreneur starting from scratch. It's for anyone who wants to pivot or transition into something new. Because having a strong personal brand means that your name gets dropped in rooms you're not in and that you're thought of for opportunities that other people haven't even heard of yet. So pick up a copy and I can't wait to hear what you think. Hi, this is Aliza Licht, and this is Leave Your Mark, the podcast, where I brew fresh career advice with some of my most inspiring and successful friends. It's professional advice that you can action immediately, whether you're just starting out in your career or well on your way. With a massive to-do list and a large cup of coffee, I promise that you can get it all done and still have time to post about it. I am really excited to welcome Tracy Baker Simmons to leave your mark tonight. Tracy, it is so good to see you. Thank you for coming on the show. Well, thank you for having me. I'm super, super excited and was totally honored to have you even ask me to be a part of this. (laughs) Well, you have had quite the career. So for everyone listening, Tracy is a 25-year entertainment industry veteran and seasoned television producer. She is one of television's most prolific and industry-forward innovators, earning titles such as, wait for it, pioneer of urban reality television. Tracy, you have produced critically acclaimed content featured on networks like TNT, TLC, Lifetime, Oxygen, WeTV, VH1, and Bravo, with content such as the Bravo reality TV series, Being Bobby Brown, MTV2, Sprite Step Off, and the biopic, Bobby Christina. And you have proven that you have the ability to create content that both resonates well with viewers and pushes culture forward. Not easy to do, I might add. Previously, you were the co-owner and executive producer of Simmons Shelley Entertainment Studios, as well as, of course, being the head of development at the New York-based production company, Jarrett Creative, where you and I met. And there, you brought the Lifetime series, The Houstons, on our own, which starred the family of the late Whitney Houston. But now, you are entrepreneur extraordinaire. You work Mm -hmm. under your own production company, Baker Simmons Media. And you mm-hmm. recently launched an educational platform, Reality TV Decoded, which launched its first masterclass, Making Reality TV. I bet you that is a popular one. Yeah. <laughs> You've been honored by Atlanta Woman Magazine as one of the top 25 women to watch. You received an Emmy nomination for the series Platinum House featuring Drew Hill, which debuted on BET Centric. And of course, in 2016, you served on an Obama administration White House Committee, ECHO, the Entertainment Consortium Collaborative Outreach Program. So you are crushing it. And we have such a fun story connection to tell. But we're going to start off with, give us your background. Yeah. So I am from Tennessee, actually. Small Chattanooga, Tennessee. I think the population is still under 400,000 people. Um, went to college in Memphis and I initially thought I was going to go to med school. And then I realized that I didn't really like science. I was just a good test taker. 
And then out of college, my first job was in pharmaceutical sales. And that lasted a week because (laughs) I didn't want to be responsible. (laughs) When they said, you tell the doctor what's in the medicine, I said, oh, no, 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 I won't be able to live with myself. (laughs) And one little mistake and someone dies and, you know. So I basically redid my resume and I actually met L.A. Reed and Babyface at a restaurant at Houston's restaurant, which I was actually just like in between quitting that job and just going back to what I knew, which was waiting tables and bartending. And they opened my mind to this entertainment world. And from there, I met a guy named Dale Hill who offered me an internship at Warner Brothers, uh, Warner Electric Atlantic. And in three months, he hired me to work in marketing and promotions. And like, I just got bit by that bug. And I just went from there to like marketing and promotions in the Southeast region. Then I got pregnant with my son. And I was like, oh, I can't do this because I'm having to go to clubs and radio stations. And then some people came up to me in my neighborhood and said, hey, do you want to work with us and help us market our film company? I said, "Uh, sure, okay. (laughs) That's a desk job. And another director approached us and asked if we would help him get music videos. And by then I had a lot of relationships because I had worked in the music industry. And so it was funny because I said, so if I help you, what does that make me? And he said, my producer. Okay, wait, you got to pause for a second because you just laid on us so much info. You got to backtrack for a second. You're waiting tables at Houston. Mm -hmm. How does this conversation start? Let's start there because I'm sorry, like (laughs) your break of your career is you're a waitress at Houston. And okay, what did you say to them? So basically... Remember, I'm from Tennessee and grew up in a very religious household. So didn't really listen to secular music. So everyone at the restaurant was saying, hey, I think those guys are a part of After Seven, this group or something. And I was like, stop it. It's my last table. I don't care who they are. I just want them to go away. (laughs) And I had a plan. When I took that job, it was in Atlanta on Lenox Road in the financial district, because I had a dual degree, marketing and finance. And I was like, okay, obviously the sales thing, pharmaceuticals is not going to work. So I got to go the fine. I got to pivot to the finance route. So when they kept saying all this stuff, they gave me their card to pay their Amex. And it said LaFace Productions. So I was like, I'll just ask. So when I go back to the table, I say, so what is LaFace Productions? And they were like, just a little company that we just started. And I said, are you guys hiring? And they realized at that point, oh, you don't know who we are. And imagine this, it's L.A. Reed and Babyface. But most important is Babyface. And he done Bobby Brown records and everything else. So I should have known him, but I didn't. And so they said, you know, why don't you come to the studio? And then I was thinking, what is a studio? What are they talking about? <laughs> This is like true story. And they left and then LA came back like, here's the card. We really, you know, want because they were just like, she's been living under a rock. 
Like they here. probably had a crush on you. You probably like cute waitress. Yeah. I'm thinking they have some ulterior motives here. But also it's probably very entertaining for them when someone actually doesn't recognize them. Doesn't recognize them. And I say, What is your name? Well, LA's name was on the card, so it said Antonio Reed. So I was like, What's your friend's name? And he was like, Kenny. And I was like, Okay, cool. So Basically, I agreed that I'll come to the studio. Sure. They were like, we'll send a car for you. And I'm thinking, what is going on in Atlanta? So I'm like, okay. And I tell my girlfriend who loves music, I was like, okay, so today I met these two people. I tell this and she goes, tell me their names again. And I said, his name is Antonio Reed. That's who paid the bill. And he said his friend was Kenny Edmonds. And my friend goes, you met LA and Babyface? And I was like, girl, that was not Babyface. Trust me, I know Babyface. And my friend was like, I think you did, but okay. And so when I went to the studio, it kept going. I don't know who they are. I'm listening to them. And interestingly enough, they said, we have this new group that we're producing. And it was three girls. And I said, oh, okay, they look interesting. They look cute. It was TLC. Oh what? my god. <laughs> yeah, they're cute. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, it was just okay, they're cute. I don't even know what's happening here. I don't do this business, you know. I'm a college graduate, you know. So I grew up under a rock who obviously had no magazines, clearly, no music magazines. I, <laughs> and so I met Dale. And he realized, like, oh, you really don't know who they are. And you don't even know what you just summed yourself into. But he was like, hey, why don't you read Billboard magazine? Yeah, good and idea. I was like, good idea. Okay, I could do that. And then he said, and then there's a book called Hitmakers or Hitmen. Hitmen. He said, read that. And I said, okay, okay. And he goes, and I'll be in touch. Here, here's my card. And I was going, okay. So then I really was like, okay, he said, the Kenny guy said he produced for Whitney and Bobby. I was like, people are such liars. It's so weird. <laughs> and so I got back in touch with the Dale guy. And that's when he was like, I'll give you an internship. And if you can catch on. And so I literally just started like reading the magazine and then reading this other magazine called R&R and Understanding Radio. Read the Hitman. And I was like sucked into, oh, this world. And then I was like, oh, and those guys really were L.A. and Babyface. Oh, my God. How crazy do I sound? And it was in the early 90s in Atlanta. And honestly, I made friends with a young lady who was like, hey, I'm working. Come by the studio. This might have been like six months later. And I come by the studio. She was like, I want you to meet this kid I'm working with with vocals. And she's like, oh, he's from Chattanooga. And I was like, oh, okay. Some kid from Chattanooga. He's got a new record deal. And who is he? Boom. Usher. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then I meet his mom. And we're like, oh, my God, we live three blocks from each other. And, you know, and it just kept rolling into those things. And so cut to almost two years later, when the guy approached me and said, could you be, you know, help me get video work? And I was like, what would that make me? And he was like, you could be my producer. And then I was like, oh, God, I got to learn something else. What's a producer? So I go buy a book, what a producer does, read the book. And then I was like, okay, yeah, 
I could be your producer. I have to so, negotiate for you. I have to figure out the budget and talk to the record company. And and then and I knew like you, I'm a relationship person. I have a degree in marketing and finance, so I can count the money and I know how to deal business wise with people. And I had the relationships with the artists and I knew how to deal with because I'd already done that in my previous situation. And so I just rolled into becoming a producer and producing music videos and commercials. And we did Brandy and Immortor. Um, and then we rolled into doing commercials for like Pete for big Sprite commercials, McDonald's, Coca-Cola. And I literally started as a producer and have always been a producer. And I had to learn like, what are these jobs, all these other people that I'm supposed to be responsible for are doing and supposed to be doing. So uh, someone said that I'm a unicorn, but I... <laughs> well, so, so first of all, I think one of the things that you did really well, and it sounds like an obvious thing to ask, but I also think it would be so easy not to, is the question mm -hmm. of what does that make me? So mm -hmm. you wanted to define mm -hmm. the work that you were doing, right? Yeah. And put a title mm -hmm. on it. And I think sometimes people, when they get an opportunity to work with, you know, established people, people are mm -hmm. so excited to have the opportunity. They don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to like ask too many questions, but you were Correct. curious to understand mm -hmm. where you were in the food chain and what your role yes. played. So I think that's a right. really good lesson. And then mm -hmm. as far as you teaching yourself, basically everything, mm -hmm. how did you have the confidence to sort of say, okay, you know what? It's okay that I'm teaching myself everything. I'm going to be able to mm -hmm. do it. I think because I have always been a reader, you know, like spent countless hours at the public library growing up and I went to college. Like what else can you learn besides being resourceful? And it's all an educational experience. So I just felt like I'll read this book and I will know how this works. And then I will move myself through this process. And I wasn't afraid to make mistakes. I just really was like, if I mess up, I'll own it. And then someone will say, this is how you do it the next time. And I'm an explorer. And I also feel like later in life, I started to define this as divine positioning. Everything was like, you know, if you pray, God, order my steps. And then it's like your path gets lit. And all you have to do is just not be afraid to take the step, take that step, take this step, ask questions, move forward. And I am a very like, I need to have the experience to learn it. So immersing myself in something is how I learn it. So I just kept moving forward and knowing that I would just immerse myself in this process. I'll learn what it is. I will master it or at least become very good at it and learn something about myself. And know like I like it or I don't like it or I want to keep going or I want to pivot to the next thing. Taking all of that knowledge with me for the next thing. And when you were going through all of this and sort of figuring it out on your own, were you the kind mm -hmm. of person who would ask questions on how to do something or you were like, oh, I don't know how to do this. I'm going to figure it out, but I'm not going to say anything that I don't know how to do it. Or did they just know that you were new so they knew you were figuring it out as you went? I think that in each case, people knew that I was new, but I wasn't afraid to ask questions. So 
everyone here knows I never did this before. They'll know I knew nothing about the music business. So each step I say, so what am I supposed to do? What do I say when I get there? What do I tell the DJ? And they would say, okay. And because they could tell me and I did it properly, like I do remember seeing Babyface maybe like seven or eight months later. And he said, so interesting. You sound like you've been in the business all your life. And I was like, I absorbed a lot. Because <laughs> he was just like, you went from not even knowing who we were to going, so now so-and-so is charting on da-da-da-da-da. And we did this many spins. And he's like, you are fast. That's amazing. So what was your hmm. first or maybe your most impactful project? And how did you get it? Back then or in general? Back then, like your first thing that you really owned, start to finish. Okay. So I would say the Brandy video, because before that we were doing videos, like we actually worked with Arrested Development and other groups, but we were still in Atlanta. But then we got a video that was going to be shooting in Los Angeles, California. Yes. And it was Brandy. And I was just like, it was a new artist, but it was for the big label, Sylvia Rome. It just was like, oh my God, we're we're in Hollywood and we're making a music video and we have massive lights and cameras everywhere. And this artist is important to this label. And it was just, you know, sort of mind blowing. Like I was nervous and I was still learning at that time. So we hired another producer in Los Angeles and he very quickly realized like, oh, she doesn't really know what she's doing, but she's, she got the deal. <laughs> so he said, I'll explain this to you. And I said, that's excellent. But what I can do is count the money. So I was like, I might not know all this equipment, but I'm keeping up with my money. So trust me, we're not blowing the money. And so honestly, I think like, Six months after that, I went to New York and took a lighting class because at that point I was like, we're doing bigger and bigger stuff and they have all these lights and I have no idea what's going on and they could tell me anything and I wouldn't even know if it's true or how long it's supposed to take. So let me take a break and go take a class. And so I went, took a lighting class and that helped a lot. And like now, even to this day, I really will say to people, no, it's going to take you this long to light it. I know what's happening here. I know how long it takes to do that and things like that. So I have always also invested in myself to learn what I needed to learn. That's super smart. But I guess for people like me who have no idea. So the counting the money part as a producer makes sense to me. But why does a producer get involved in lighting? Because of the timing and how much money it's going to mm-hmm. cost? Yes. Like you want to know what people are talking about. And a lot of people learn because they start at the bottom, like they're a production assistant, like they come up the ranks. So they learn all of those things on the job. But remember, I started here. So I had to be like, oh, what's all of this information in between that no one ever taught me, nor did I have the experience to learn. But now I just need to learn it quickly because I need to be able to manage from the top. That's a really good point. You needed to bridge the gap because you started at Houston. <laughs> started at Houston. Exactly. Oh my God, that's amazing. So you produce MTV2's Sprite Step Off. 
Mm -hmm. She debuted with record-breaking ratings for the network and was honored in the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture. Did Mm -hmm. you expect this type of response from this project? No. (laughs) So interestingly enough, the show came from an idea of the guys who did a movie called Stump the Yard. They basically said, what if we did a reality version of that movie? And they talked to Sprite and then they said, we need a producer. We need someone who's been doing reality because by then I had been working in the space, which is a whole nother story of how I got into that space. Well, wait, wait, wait. So then we need to back up. So music videos to reality television. So I was doing music videos, doing commercials. Basically, a video director came to me. I helped find the money with some previous partners to help him do an independent film, which we produced for like half a million dollars and sold for a couple million to BET. And I was living in L.A. Um, That company sort of crumbled who I was partners with. And so I moved back to Atlanta. And my best friend, Wanda, was like, but don't give up on your dream. Like maybe we could do a company together. And I'm like, okay, great. Well, I was a little emotional, but I said, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So we are starting a company. We decide the one thing you need is some money. So we started raising some money, uh, got some connections, found an investor. And so now we had an office, we had some money. And I had people telling me these amazing stories about Bobby Brown and Whitney Houston. And I was like, well, they should be on a reality show. Um, Bounced it off my partner who was like, oh, that could be interesting. Of course, never did a reality show. Matter of fact, the only blueprint was the Osbournes. And so we were talking to our attorneys and they were like, well, you'll never be able to do that with Whitney Houston. And so we were like, well, we can try. And so we don't know Bobby. We don't know Whitney. We say, let's just do six degrees of separation. How can we get to them? We made a phone call to actually the guy who was brokering our investor deal. And he said, let me make a couple of calls. He makes a call. He calls me back and he says, I have two names for you. I have an attorney and I have a spiritual advisor. And all I could think was a person who called himself a spiritual advisor to Bobby Brown. I should meet him. Right? Yeah, you're a religious person. This could be a connection you needed. And by the way, I think it's really important to just reiterate that there were no reality television shows at this time. Yeah, I mean, the the Osbournes. Just the Osbournes, but that was like one. Exactly. Okay, so continue. So I meet this guy and he's like, yeah, I kind of advise them. And, And so I told him maybe he could be on the show too if he could help. So that's one degree so far. And then he says, you should meet his brother. I mean, his brother. Oh, and Bobby's in jail, by the way. So I'm thinking if the brother could just get me on the visitation list, because why would he not want to have a visitor in jail? Everybody wants somebody to see them. Oh, my God. I'm dying. I'm dying. So I meet with the brother at 8 a.m. in the morning, and the brother has been in the studio or something all night. So he falls asleep in the meeting at the table, at the breakfast table. And I watched him sleep for an hour. But I watched him because I'm patient because I want what I want. Wait, I would have broken his ass up. You wake him up? I was just looking at him like, I don't know what to say or do. And And the spiritual guy is sitting there embarrassed. And then the brother wakes up. 
he eats breakfast finally and then we go outside and he's like are you crazy my brother's not doing a reality show i was like no 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 wait wait wait, wait, wait. i watched you sleep for an hour you're gonna get me the conversation at least so from there he agreed to allow me to speak to his brother but he did say something interesting he said my brother is an aquarius he doesn't mean any harm to anyone and then i said marketing background serving me i said honey i said if that's true why would he not want to do a reality show do you understand why basketball players make more money than football players it's because you can see their face so if you're not hiding anything that is how you get people to believe and trust you so this is actually the best thing for him because otherwise, people think that he has Whitney Houston tied up to a bed somewhere and throwing, you know, drugs yeah. down my throat. And he was like, oh, that's a good point. I'm going to tell my brother. <laughs> and so he talked to Bobby. Bobby spoke to us. And basically, the condensed version is Bobby got out of jail, went back to jail in Boston, but got out like the next day because it was a child support issue. And I'm sitting in the office. I get on the phone with him and I'm like, what's up with you? Like, are you coming back to Atlanta? What's happening? Do you want to do a show? Where are we in this process? And he said, you want to do a reality show with me? You should start filming me right now. And I'm like, wait, you're in Boston. I'm in Atlanta. And he said, I know. Send your team. You're and like, I said, uh, my team is me. <laughs> well, I have my partner. Right. So then I said, uh, okay, so where's your lawyer? And he said, he's sitting here. And I said, okay, hold on. Call my lawyer. Tell my lawyer what he said. And the lawyer was like, so what are you going to do? And then I looked at my partner who never produced before. But I'm thinking, I never produced before when I produced. So this happens with people. So I said, look, you're going to have to go to Boston because I have to stay here and figure it out because we will be making a television show that we haven't figured out how to make. Wow. Were you actually freaking out though? Or were you cool? No, I was excited. I was just like, look, we have to do it. And then she was like, wait, we have to tell the investors we're spending the money. And I said, oh yeah, I'll explain that tomorrow. <laughs> but did you at that point know if Whitney was game? No. And honestly, in my head, I wanted to do a show with him and I wanted to just figure out her piece. The idea was never the two of them. It really was him. And maybe she'll be in a little bit. We'll figure that out. Okay. So basically, I told my partner to call. Like, I knew camera people. I called a camera guy and said, look, do you have a friend who will go with you? Do we have an audio person? And then I was like, book flights, you know? Use the credit cards. Book flights, let's go. And I was like, my team is coming. They'll be there tonight. And he was like, great. My lawyer sent him paperwork. His lawyer approved the paperwork. They fly off. His brother came by the office and was like, yeah, he'll be back in a few days and blah, blah, blah. And we really just started filming with him. And my partner was like, what do I shoot? I was like, whatever he does. Because at that time, we don't even know what we're doing. We don't even know what a reality show is. I don't know how they make these shows. It looks like they're just following these people. I don't know. That's unbelievable. <laughs> but you were right. Just record anything he does. That's it. That's anything what he does. And he was like smart because he's an entertainer. So he was with his kids. So he was controlling his narrative basically because we had a camera and we're just following him. 
And when he came back, it was like they were there for like two or three days and then he flies back. Remember, the people have been telling me all these stories about him. And one of the stories they told me was that him and Winnie liked to do these staycations at this hotel, staying in the penthouse. So when he said he was coming back and he really needed to talk to his wife about what's happening, I rented the penthouse. And I said, how about I meet with you first? And he said, okay. When I get off the plane, I said, I'll send a car. There'll be a car that will transport you from the airport to the Hyatt. And I was like, and I actually rented out the penthouse. And he was like, oh, cool. We like that place. We like staying there. But <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so he shows up. He shows up. With Whitney and the kids? <laughs> no, no. Whitney's not there yet. So he's there and he said, oh, so you're Tracy. You're my producer. And I was like, yeah. So remember, he hasn't physically met me. He was in jail. We've been talking on the phone the whole time. And this was before FaceTime. So he has not physically seen me. And so I told him I wanted to call the show Being Bobby Brown because I watched a film called Being John Malkovich. And I thought, this is what works, you know. And my partner was like, yeah, we can understand his why. And I was like, yeah, we can see him as a husband, a father, a son, like all those pieces. And I was like, so I'm thinking every little, each person will have a little part. And your wife would have a little part too. And he said, okay, cool. So he calls her and she's like, where are you? And he's like, I landed in Atlanta and I'm at this, like at the highest. She was like, oh, our spot. And he's like, yeah. And he's like, and I'm here with my producers. And she's like, you're what? <laughs> He's like, my producers. And she's like, what do you mean producers? And he's like, I'm making a reality show. I can hear her through the phone going, you're doing what? You don't know what the hell you're doing. Oh, I love that she just didn't even talk to her about it. Didn't even consult with her. And so she's like, I'm on my way. She zooms down in her Porsche, obviously. And she gets there and she calls. The hotel calls down. Mr. Brown, Mrs. Houston is here send her up, you know, and we're like, oh, shoot, Whitney Hughes is about to come. I mean, total panic, <laughs> panic attack. And then we tell the camera people, like, let's just get out of the room, because this is their first time seeing each other in like a month or so or something, you know. And so we back up and we're at the elevators, like waiting for her to come off the elevator and see what's going to happen next. And she steps off the elevator. I'll never forget this. And she said, hi. I'm Whitney. And I'm like, no, you're Whitney Houston lady. <laughs> Wait, were cameras rolling or you paused? They were rolling, you know, like discreetly. And then she said, so you guys are making a show and with my husband? And we were like, yes. And she said, well, come on with those cameras then because I'm his wife. I'm going to have to be on the show too. And we're like, oh my Wait a gosh. We're making a show with Bobby Brown and Whitney's. <laughs> Jackpot! <laughs> made a show before. <laughs> you understand that you hit the jackpot, right? Like this is insane. Yeah. This is insane. It was crazy. Yes, and then we just started making a show, and I called like a couple of my friends who had, were documentary directors, and mm -hmm. was like, "Look, I'm making this show, and from what I understand, it looks like this is how it works. I need you to come in, fly you in to direct, and you know." direct the cameras and things like that. That's not what I do. I'm a producer. I need to figure out what the show is, what the deal is, and then pitching it because we had an investor. We didn't have a network, right? 
No, we had nothing. We had the news because I think like the next day, well, that day we went to the Palm restaurant and then the local news was like, Bobby Brown and Whitney Houston are being followed by cameras. Maybe they're making a reality show. Oh, well, good. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That's one thing the news got right. The one thing. And then Entertainment Tonight, they did this poll, like who would people most want to see on a reality show? And they were like, number one or two and our investor called and sent a screenshot of it and then I was like yeah because by the way we don't have a network and we kind of need to use all the money you gave us (laughs) FYI but I think it's so crazy that no one was like oh what have you produced before like there was no (laughs) due diligence whatsoever I mean I don't even know what you would have said what reality show are you going for? None. You're I would have said exactly what the truth. I would have said music videos. I think I told him, like, I was like, yeah, I produced music videos. And by that time, I've done, like, tons of them and sure. commercials. And I think because reality was so new, Bobby and them didn't think, like, you need 10 shows under your belt. They were sure. just like, she That's probably true. know how. This is how you do it. Yeah, this makes sense. You know what I'm saying? Like. They didn't know either. How long did you follow them for? It's like five months. Wow. Yeah. And, and they were just excited. And you figured it all out. So what network ended up running that one? Uh, Bravo. Bravo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. They were new and they didn't have a lot of programming. So we were able to negotiate with them to say, look, you don't get to own our show. So we still own the show. We own all the footage and everything. It's a license deal. Wow. I have chills actually when you just said that. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. God, you learned so fast, Tracy. It's amazing. <laughs> and I was like, yes, now the reality show producer. <laughs> Honestly, once we had all the footage and we had, you know, we pitched and talked to a lot of people. A lot of networks were like, give us the footage. Like, you don't know what you're doing. But Bravo was just like, let her hire people. Like, just fine, whatever. We need content. And honestly, I hired smart people who had worked, like some people had just come off of a show like Making the Band. Because a lot of, there wasn't shows on the air. There were shows that were being produced that were going to start. And we hired a guy that came on for a few weeks as a consultant that said, okay, here's what you need. You need this editor and this and this story person and things like that to help us put a team together in the structure. And then the rest was really like, we knew what the stories were that we wanted to tell and we knew how we had shot it and things like that. And we, you know, it was like, okay, then you deliver a rough cut and people give notes and you move on from there. So, and then I just kept going. I mean, yeah, you did. That's incredible. I mean, I just can't get over your entire trajectory. So obviously reality is one area that you do. You must have a special place for it in your heart. I do. I do. I mean, I realized what made me love it was it's real people. It's real stories. You have the ability to like put your heart into it. I mean, even in the movie where like I want to make lots of biopics, like just things rooted in truth, because also there's this psychosis 
to this where you're understanding human dynamics and being able to say, okay, how do we tell this story so people understand this person's why? Because honestly, after doing the show, people did say, oh, we really learned all this about Bobby. We found out like he wasn't like so crazy. You know, I loved it when people would say like, because you really could see they loved each other. Mm-hmm. And then you understand the real magic of being a filmmaker, being a producer. Before that, I knew that being a producer was the right thing for me. But beyond how I would bridge from being a producer doing music videos and commercials to a person who was working in television and film on a broader scale, that show sort of solidified it for me that that is what I would be doing forever. And I would just be figuring it out how to do it to the best of my knowledge and my best of my abilities forever and ever and ever. And that's, you know, that's my thing. It seems like to me, the way that you approach this show was not like the reality television we have today, where Mm -hmm. they're looking to trip up, you know, to pull Mm -hmm. out content just for drama. Like, it seems like it was reality, but it was reality documentary style. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's called Verite. Mm -hmm. Verite? That's a name. (laughs) Yeah, we shot it Verite, which is, you know, very common in the UK. It's documentary style. And yeah, and I don't like it even now because I sometimes work as a freelance producer and I'll say to people all the time, I don't do gotcha TV. Like, I don't like this idea of, oh, let me tell this person this about that person. I wasn't doing that with those people. It really was. This is their truth. This is how they live. I mean, they said to me, honestly, our life is kind of boring. And I was like, that's okay. I think America will want to see you sitting on a couch watching TV. A hundred percent. Do what you do. Yeah. And honestly, they're entertainers. So they knew like, oh, oh, they popped up those lights. The camera guy's here. Let's do something. And they just, you know, would do funny stuff or be entertaining because they knew like they wanted that. And they were very comfortable in their skin, especially when they were together. Oh, so great. So going back to this incredible, like, going into the Smithsonian National Museum of African American <laughs> History from the MTV yeah. show. Like, was that your next project after being Bobby Brown? No. Actually, I think we did the Platinum House. Ended up Which was getting also nominated for an Emmy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay. So, yeah. nominated for an Emmy. And then the Smithsonian. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've had, like, one... <clears throat> major milestones after the next, which Mm -hmm. I guess really show you that you have found your purpose and you are just Mm -hmm. owning that and living the dream. Yeah. How do you recognize finding your purpose? Like what kind of feelings should you be looking for to even acknowledge that that's your path? To be honest, interestingly enough, I think that the entertainment business and just being a person who learned on the fly was a part of my journey, right? And I think storytelling, it's interesting because if we go back to me as a child being a big reader, like Shakespeare, J.R. Tolkien, The Hobbit, like volumes of books, like I want to read all the volumes, you know? So it was like great storytelling. So all of those, like what I did learn, even with doing the Bam Bobby Brown show when I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but everything that I've learned from the music video and commercial world is serving me right now. 
Like, I understand what it's supposed to look like. I understand cameras and this and all those things. So I would say paying attention to, oh, that's serving me now. This is serving me now. It sort of led me, honestly, I feel like to understanding my purpose and my path and my journey. My mission is to tell a great story or to be a part of that, you know, in actually a person who consciously cares about the narrative that they're putting out there, too. Then the other part of that is being a learner has also really fueled me to understand that my purpose purpose is to teach which is why I launched the platform because I was like, cause even, you know, when I started the company, I had this extensive internship program and I would say, I want you to learn, you know, one, I want you to learn because I had to learn it and there was no one to teach me. So, and then the other part is I was like, I don't want you to leave here and say, I work for Tracy Baker Simmons, but you show us somewhere and you know nothing. So I want you to leave me really feeling like you learned something about the industry. Here's a glossary. Here's notes. Like everything that I had to figure out for myself, I didn't want people to have to stumble through it. How is this right now? How are you teaching all of this? It's on its own platform, Reality TV Decoded. And you basically, you know, purchase the course. And I'm explaining everything. There's lessons, of course, because the teacher in me. I mean, I taught at Emory, too. For four years, I taught film and television there. So it's really, really extensive because it's almost like, I wish this is what someone taught me. But I've been fortunate enough to document my process and my journey. And now I'm, you know, sharing it because I just feel like there was nothing out there. I could go to a lighting class, but I could never go to a producer class. So, and after being a person who had taught my interns and then taught at Emory, I knew like, oh, now this I'm supposed to do because everybody can't afford film school. And even if you go to film school, that's not what they're teaching you anyway. And honestly, if we want there to be a new crop of creatives, especially minorities, it's not enough of us to even know how to tell them. So, well, let me make something that at least helps us move into that knowledge to be able to, one, share the stories, pitch more stories, and then be able to sell them and understand how to produce. And there's going to be more on the platform, there are going to be other producers who are teaching story producing, directing, how you develop and, you know, create a crime show and different things like that. So the platform's going to be ever growing because it was like, why isn't there a school for reality television? So, so it's realitytvdecoded.com? Yes. Mm-hmm. So amazing. You have said that having a New York state of mind and a black woman state of mind has contributed (laughs) to you becoming a great producer. Let's Mm -hmm. talk about that. Yes. We'll start with the black woman, my grandmother and my mother, who were just like, you just have to do it. There's no option. Like you have to figure it out. You have to make it happen. Your children, your family and others are depending on you. And then People will say, what does a producer do? And I say, whatever it takes. You know, that's it. That's the rule. The producer does whatever it takes. If they have to take out the trash, they take out the trash. 
they get the job done and they're filling in the blanks and they're also leading the crew and the team. So that's number one. And then number two, moving to New York, it was just like, it's interesting. I lived in LA and in LA, you hire all these people to do everything you need. (laughs) In New York, you build a team, but you're also, you're in the grind. You are not stopping at no. You're making it happen. And you have this thing. It's like you got to go in the snow. You got to go in the rain. You got to move. You can't cancel the meeting. It's just this thing about being there. And the city is just so electric and the energy anyway. And I just feel like those things have driven me to be like, there's more I can do. There's bigger I can accomplish. It just really is just giving me a new focus that I didn't even really imagine having in my late 40s. Let's talk about, since I've had the pleasure of meeting your mom and, of course, working with your sister, which we'll talk about after, Mm -hmm. but tell me some of the other things that your mom sort of instilled in you growing up that you think has had a hand in your success today. I remember my 20s, my mom said, you don't have to make all your own mistakes. You can learn from me, you can learn from other people. And I think that even when I took the jobs and I didn't know what I was doing, it was the thing that allowed me to ask questions, to say, so what do we do and how do we do? I think I messed this up. What do I need to do? Like, it was just this thing of believing or just the understanding that I didn't have to screw it up and that it was okay to ask someone for advice. Mm-hmm. and information mm-hmm. so that I could move forward. So I think that was one of the biggest things. And then my mom wanted me to be a doctor. And when I said to her, I don't want to do that. And she said, okay, so what do you want to do? And I said, I don't know. I, I like writing. I like a lot of things, but I want to make money. And she said, okay, so go figure So figure it out, figure it out. And then when I said, I'm doing this entertainment thing, she said, okay. I'll dream that dream with you too. (laughs) And it was just that thing that said, whatever the dream was, like she was just, okay, okay. And she didn't say, are you crazy? Or there's no way. She really just like loved me through the process. And I think that gave me the courage to just keep trying and keep going and not giving up on myself and just believing that, you know, that what I wanted was possible. And then my grandmother used to always say, nothing is impossible with God. Don't worry. Don't worry. Nothing's impossible with God. And so honestly, they just like impacted me to just really be able to just continue because this is a hard I mean, as much as I'm like, oh, this happened and that happened and la, 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 la. It's a hard thing to wake up believing some dream because it's not, you don't punch a clock. And, you know, there are moments and times when you don't know what's next or you don't know if the show's going to sell or you don't know if it's going to get another season and all of those things. And you just have to say, this is what I do and it has to work. You know, it's funny. A friend of mine asked me, she's like, well, if this doesn't work, or if this didn't work for you, what would you do? And I was like, no, 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 this has to work because this this is the only dream I got. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Do you believe in, because we're talking, you know, sort of that like divine intervention before, when you're trying to make a decision for something, do you kind of 
think about it really hard and then like look for a sign to direct you or more just like an intuitive feeling? I'm just curious. I think it's intuitive feeling. I'm one of those people. It's funny because um, my friends say some of my friends are real analytical and they think things through and they map it out and they say, you'll just try it. I'm like, yeah, I, I, I can't wait. I want to try it. If it doesn't work, try something else. But I want to try it. I mean, think about it. if I had said to Bobby, wait a minute, we have to figure this out. We didn't structure a show. I would not have been making, being Bobby Brown. I had to be like, all right, let's do it. You know, even for Sprite Step Off, the guys wanted to make a show about these step teams. Sprite was doing the competition. But guess what? They had 99 teams. True story. And they said, here's the caveat. You can't tell the judges anything. You can't affect the competition at all. And MTV said, well, we only need you to follow six teams. So the goal was pick six teams and pray. (gasps) Basically, that's what they said. Just pray one of them ends up in the finals because you can't manipulate any piece of this. And we can only follow six teams. So I literally talked to people in each region of the country that had been working with the team and got backstories. And then I just said, I have to pick the most interesting teams or the teams who really need to win and have the interesting stories. So I picked some guys of kids in Florida who all came from two family homes, military. I was like, they're disciplined. I picked some kids in Atlanta. They all came from single parent homes went to school at Clark and I said, they're hungry and they need their tuition and it's $100,000 on the line. And then I picked some girls out of Arkansas that they had, the black girls had taught the white girls how to step. And I picked those two teams, the teacher and the student, because I was like, both of them have something to prove. Wow. You're so basically. Oh my God. You're so smart. I can't take it. This way of thinking, it's so good to like hear the details of it because nowadays people will probably be like, oh, does the team have an Instagram handle? Like, let's see who has the most followers. And like mm -hmm, that's so mm -hmm. dumb when you think about it, right? Exactly. Exactly. Right. When the important thing was what was the motivation and what would get them to the finish line. And listen, the white girls won. And basically, then it ended up being that they tied with the other team, but they won. And the boys, the alphas, they came in second. Wow. So you had three subjects, basically. Mm-hmm. It was such good story. And, and it was people who were fighting to win and drive and all of those things. And, you know, it was just like, that's the kind of storytelling I like to do. Amazing. So you have been credited with opening doors for African-American talent and television producers in the reality television medium. What are some of the ways that you've done this and how are you, I know now you're training like the next crop of young creatives, but Mm -hmm. what projects are you working on or how is this something that you Mm -hmm. are sort of propelling forward and you've done in the past and continue to propel forward? I mean, honestly, the young lady who started with us on being Bobby Brown, like I purposely picked her and was like, okay, you're a story producer. Okay. Now you're a supervisor, story producer. That's fine. Next. 
come to the next show. Like I honestly pick people like me. Yeah, right. maybe you're not that today, but shoot, you can learn. Come on. <laughs> and let's do the next thing together. And there's just a lot of people out there who are like, I learned to produce from her or, you know, even my own son. My son's an associate producer now. Uh, he grew up in, you know, just watching his mom be in the business. And honestly, on the Bobby Christina movie, I just said, let him be a production assistant. But he stepped in and he really helped the talent learn how to be those characters and he gave so much insight that the network came to me and said we're giving your son an associate producer credit on wow the that's so cool so you have been super gracious with talent around you that you've seen have potential what do you look for in talent like how are you picking sort of the future you the future me is hungry and wants to be in the business and has ethic like you know they're honest and not ill intent yeah towards people you know that's the future and I think it's the future of the business too because I think we still have this little space where there are people who do and I don't think that people need to have ill intent I just think that they get sort of caught in this we got to tell this story and we need to have it messy and this that and the other as opposed to just saying no 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 just let the people live. Let's see what's authentically their story. And then let's go along this journey with them as opposed to manipulation. Yeah. Um, so I think that it is like people who don't want to, you know, you want to be able to go to sleep at night and think, I didn't just do something that may have ruined someone's life. Minor detail. Yeah. That's a good yeah. point. So I think a lot of people, a lot of young people get told, oh, you don't have any experience. We're looking for someone with experience. So when you're positioning yourself, and let's say they're not as lucky as you to be in the right place at the right time in Houston mm -hmm. with you know, two major celebrities <laughs> that you don't know they are. If someone was reaching out to you cold and trying mm -hmm. to say like, I love what you do. I would love to mm -hmm. learn from you. Like, what would mm -hmm. that email look like? It would probably be a DM. <laughs> first on Instagram <laughs> on Instagram or Twitter okay uh Instagram first because I pay attention more or LinkedIn and then I would give them my email address I'm always open the teacher and me to do a 30-minute call with anyone that's so nice and you get more calls if you gift me you know 10 bucks for a Starbucks afterwards <laughs> to say thank you but Someone DM'd me and said they were, I thought the lady was in Atlanta, but she she wasn't. She was actually in D.C. But I was like, well, if you're ever in the same city I'm in and you want to come by the set, perfect. No problem. Just so you can see the world. I feel like exposure is everything to people because it's sort of like I can see what's happening. Oh, my yeah. God. I feel like I want to be a part of this. And then I'm always open to recommend books for people to read because that's how I learned. And then I'm also open to say, hey, try this or go do something. I'm always giving advice, like giving people some advice to just like get the train moving towards the direction that they really want to be a part of. Um, I believe in that. It's like my give back, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but it's also my way of being grateful that those opportunities came for a person who grew up in Tennessee. I mean, literally, I watched Fat Albert and 
I, I love I didn't that Albert. <laughs> yes. I'm like, I don't have this huge, extensive world of like, I watched all these movies and I did all sure. these. I can talk about a lot of books that I read, but so I just feel like if that's in your heart, you know, I just want to be a resource in some kind of way, you know? I love that. Okay. So fun fact, Tracy's sister, Felita Harris, who is fabulous, mm-hmm. was the head of sales. I think she was vice president. Mm-hmm. Global sales. Global sales for Donna Karen when I was the SVP of global communications. And mm-hmm. one day, for those who are listening, <laughs> who read my book, you'll know the story well. One day in a meeting, Felita just randomly was like, why is DQI PR girl a secret? Because mm-hmm. I was this social media personality. And for two years, it was a secret. And literally, I was like, I don't know. That's just how it started. And she's like, well, I don't think it should be. She's like, we should do like a coming out of who it is. And I'm like, okay. Yes. And then she's like, and my sister, <laughs> reality television. And I was like, well, that's convenient. <laughs> yeah. Tracy followed me around for a few days when mm-hmm. we were producing the DVD during Fashion Week. During Fashion Week and produced the coming out of DKY PR Girl behind the scenes yes. video. That was such a moment in my career. And that was, we had so much fun working together. So it was so good. It was so good. And I learned so much about fashion. <laughs> it was like, oh, this is a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. So crazy. So it's so and fun. It was awesome too. Mm-hmm. So fun to turn the tables on you to tell your mm-hmm. story because you told my story. So it's just amazing. Yes. So how do you, I know you said you're not scared of failure, but when failure does happen, it never feels good. So how do you learn from it and overcome it? And sort of what's your mantra as far as like staring it in the face and then moving on? When I was living in LA and I had the company and the partners wanted to split, honestly, I would say that's probably like the biggest moment where I felt like, I was going to die, <laughs> like rip, rip my heart out my chest kind of thing. Yeah. And remember, I'm a reader and my divine path will always lead me to a book. So I found a book called Selling Forward mm. by John Maxwell, who has the Maxwell Institute in Atlanta of Leadership. And I read that book and it was just like write down every mistake and basically determine how you don't want to do it again or grow from it so to be honest like I don't always go back to the book every time but I do always remember fail forward meaning don't get stuck there go get up go and like I said before this has to work it's the only dream I have so I have to just figure out what's the pivot and go forward And now, you know, years later, I have an amazing supportive husband who's always like, don't worry, babe, it's going to work out. Don't worry, babe. I mean, honestly, like I gave the highlight reel of me and Bobby Brown, but there was a moment when the Whitney machine was like, yeah, we know you shot that whole show, but we aren't, we can't let that be on TV. Wow. And it was a moment of what the heck is happening. I'm a million dollars in with an investor. Even my attorney was like, 
he told me and my partner, he was like, I don't know if this is going to work. And I was like, I'm just going to pray. He was like, God's too busy to deal with this. <laughs> and I was like, he can't be. <laughs> I have oh to call God. him. <laughs> and honestly, Whitney ultimately decided, like, I wanted to do this and I trust her. And thank God we had built that trust with her and we were able to put the deal. I mean, literally the deal fell apart on my honeymoon. Oh my God. And on your had honeymoon? To, oh. Yes. Cause I got married. We shot the show working out the deal and I had planned to be married December 26th, which is when the business is on hiatus. So, I'm, you know, I'm on my honeymoon and it's like her agent lawyers, like literally I'm at the pool, like they calling me directly from the hotel and trying to figure it out and then getting back and just being like, how do we put this back together and getting it all sorted? And that was big, you know, like that's what I said, like this business is not easy and you do have the, and that's part of why I wanted to teach like dotting your eyes and crossing your T's because that's a big deal. And one little, you know, I did a deal recently and if the word if was there, we didn't see it. And it was regarding insurance, it's errors and omissions, which is like important insurance to have because if someone sues, you need to be covered. It said if they have it, it didn't require them to have it. Wow. We missed the if. And it could have cost me hundreds of thousands of dollars. That is such a great point. I keep on saying wow, because I'm literally floored every time you open your mouth. The fine print in the contracts. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. cannot be overstated how carefully mm-hmm. you have to read every single mm-hmm. word. A hundred percent. It's so scary. Mm-hmm. So Tracy, how do you want to leave your mark? <laughs> Honestly, I feel like I want to leave my mark by being a person who one definitely was a giver, like gave back took from my own experience and paved the way and lit a path for others, like not turn the light off behind me, but leave the path lit so that others can follow and come behind me, have a shorter window of time to learn because I'm giving them knowledge and information and just, you know, take that for us all to work together to share amazing, great stories in our culture, but also bridging the gap with other cultures for us to tell stories together. Oh, I have chills. That's so beautiful. Uh, oh. <laughs> well, I'm so glad we got to do this. Your story is so crazy. And I didn't know <laughs> any of that. So it was just such a pleasure and a joy for me to hear it firsthand. Thank you for coming on the show, Tracy. Thank you for allowing me to reveal you to the world. (laughs) You're so welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Leave Your Mark, the podcast. If you want more career advice, be sure to pick up a copy of my best-selling book, Leave Your Mark. If you're on Instagram, make sure to follow at Leave Your Mark Podcast to stay up with the latest episodes. And of course, say hi to me at ElisaLickDexo. If you're on Twitter, definitely reach out at Aliza Licht. I would love to hear from you. If you want to subscribe to my newsletter or attend a future virtual mentoring event, go to alizalick.com for more information. And just remember this, if change doesn't hurt a little, it's not change. Keep on rocking.